God bless each and every one of you. I want everybody just to say this right out the start. Say this, it's time for another Pentecost. Look at your neighbor, don't spit on them, but just say it's time for another Pentecost. Father, we love you this morning. Your presence is wonderful in this place. The excitement, Lord God, the enthusiasm is one thing, but we want the anointing of the Holy Ghost to continue to carry throughout this service. Happy birthday, Lord, and your church, your development, Lord God. What a wonderful achievement that 2,000 years later, the church is still alive and well and strong and getting stronger. Thank you, Lord God. The enemy has tried everything he could to stop this church, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Somebody say amen. And today, Lord God, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for what you're doing, Lord God. Let today in this church, Lord God, be a demarcation on May 31st, 2020, Lord God. A demarcation, a watershed moment, if you will, Lord God, of something significant that's about to happen on planet Earth. Lord, as we sang a moment ago, let there be a move of God. This is a move. It may look like chaos and disorder, Lord God, but every move of your spirit always looked like a riot, Lord God. It was either riot or revival. So let revival come, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And bless this time we have together. Everybody said a big amen and amen. Those that um, don't know the song, that we, second song that we sang today, which I didn't know they were going to do, I think it's the first time we've done it, sang it publicly, is Warriors Arise. And that's a song that we wrote, our church wrote. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Got lots of talent in this church, and so you can actually get that's available online. Uh, I don't know how you do it, but it's everywhere. Everywhere you go to find music, you'll find it called Warriors Arise. So if you like that song, that's the first time we sang it uh, live, and I thought it was sounded great. Now, our roles are pushed up more, so we couldn't hear the quality of what we normally would be in the front row. The front row's pushed up a little bit, but it still was pretty good. By the way, I want to say a big thank you to the Whites, Pastor Dennis and Bobby Joe White came down, came out from Chicago. Their daughter, Bailey, their son, Duncan, are here with them as well. Amen. They ain't afraid. They ain't afraid. Amen. We, um, we just had a literal Passover. Now, let me explain this to you because this is going to kind of set us up for a few moments here. And we had this literal Passover um, uh, just about uh, six weeks ago. And what I mean by literal is the first time in history that anyone's ever been aware of, okay, that that uh, that there was an actual there was actually a quarantine during the time of Passover, just like it was in the time of Moses when Moses said, "Let my people go." And there were these ten plagues that happened. And one, the last plague was death, and and God said, "I require a sacrifice, a, an offering to me." And that offering would be a, a blood offering to be be put on the lentil and doorposts of the home. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over your house. And so they were huddled up or they were quarantined in their homes and they prayed that death and destruction would pass over their homes. For the first time in all these thousands of years, the same thing happened in 2020. Now you can say what you want, but I believe God aligns everything the way he wishes where people were quarantined, in believers especially, in their homes and praying that this would pass over not only their homes, but their, their families' homes. Not only their families' homes, but their communities' homes and so on and over America and the world, right? The whole wide world was affected by being quarantined in prayer. And so this is an interesting fact. Now, there are many that are prophesying and believing that because there was a literal 
Passover, could it mean that we're going to have a literal Pentecost? Pentecost in the Greek simply means 50. 50. It was actually a feast that took place 50 days from Passover called the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. And Shavuot means seven or exactly seven weeks from Passover. Okay? So when you do the math, seven times seven, seven days of the week, seven weeks, that's 49 plus Passover. The day of Passover is 50. Or you could say the day of Pentecost is 50. So this is very, very important. It is also known, this time of Pentecost, as the harvest feast. Everybody say the harvest feast. Or the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. How many believe we still need power from on high? And he said, until, he said after that, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so he ascended to be with his father, and it was exactly the time between Passover to Shavuot. They would know this as a Jew. They would understand the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks, so on. You understand. It would be called our Pentecost in the New Testament, but they would understand it as their harvest time. It was a time of feast. You know, it was a time of, feast means an appointment with God. And so he said, go. And he said, tarry there until. Now, they didn't know it was going to be right up until the time of Shavuot. They didn't know it was going to be called the time of Pentecost. But they were being obedient to the Lord to go in the upper room and begin to pray. And so they went to Jerusalem to begin to pray. 120 people actually gathered together to pray. I don't know. We may have 120 people in this room today. I don't know. I'm guessing. But that's kind of what it looked like. This is kind of what it looked like. 120 people huddled into this room, and they were quarantined. They were up there in prayer. And the Bible says when they all came into one accord, there's something about one accord. There's something about unity. That if God's people can just gather together and unify. And right now, what we look around and see in the world today is nothing but disunification. All we see is disruption. All we see is chaos. People can't get together. I'm here to tell you that's not the picture that God has intended for his people. God wants his people to come together. Get rid of our silly and petty indifferences and come together. And so they prayed and 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 they prayed. Obviously, they prayed for 50 days. And then the Bible says something significant happened. The point of Pentecost is mission. The point of Pentecost is mission. And the goal of that mission is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 14. This is beautiful. That the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Can I say that one more time? That the earth, the mission that God set forth, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's total, that's inclusive. And the process by which God carries that mission out is by the formation and the deployment of something called his ecclesia in Greek, which is in fact his church. Everybody say, I am the church. If there's anything that we found out in the last several weeks is something that the building is not the church. 
The church is you and me everywhere we go. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Those watching me online, God can touch you right where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're here or there. God can use you. Now, in fact, God wants his people to gather together. That's another, that's another message and another teaching for another time. There's power in that for, for sure. And the devil will always try to keep us at bay so we're never going to get together. But I'm here to tell you, he can't stop the church because the church is not a location. Everywhere you are, God is. And so the mission that God says, I'm going to carry out the fact that I want the whole world to know, have knowledge of me, to acknowledge me and to know my glory as the, as the seas cover the earth, is I'm going to do it by way of the formation of my church. I'm going to do it by the, the, the deployment of my church. The church, ladies and gentlemen, was born on Pentecost, which is what? Again, it's, it's the week of feasts or the week of harvest or the feast of harvest. In other words, God's whole agenda, he spelled it out on the very day he birthed his church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, and that's what? He desires a harvest. I don't know what the population of the earth was in the time of Christ, but I can tell you it's way, way, way bigger now than it was then. We have over 7 billion people on our planet. Could it be, all people are so worried about overpopulation, could it be that God made it so that more people would be born during this time, that there would be an incredible revival that would hit the earth as promised in the book of Job, that all, Joel, that all people would know God's glory, that they would all come to know him. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. And that more people can now can populate heaven than at any other time in human history. Pentecost should not be a cry for an outpouring of God's spirit just so you and I can sit back and soak it up and come to church and, and feel a goose bump and woo, and Jesus is in the house. That ought to not be what the church is all about. That will not be what Pentecost is all about. And though I believe that there is an outpouring coming to this planet and it cannot be diverted. It's like a meteor that's on a trajectory and it's coming to planet Earth. The same is true with God's revival. And all flesh will be touched by his presence. And you will feel a goosebump and a whole lot more. But that is not the purpose. The purpose of Pentecost is a reminder to the church of the mission we have in touching the whole world for the glory of God. Everybody say it's harvest time. Say it's harvest time. It's not me time, it's harvest time. It's not vacation time, it's harvest time. It's not my agenda time, it's harvest time. God's got the whole world on his mind and the church is his representation in the earth. Will the church please stand up? You can be seated. The church was never meant to be a side road attraction with a, with a one-stop shop. It was meant to be a highway where God's people are mobilized and deployed into action. I'm so grateful that we got a place, 4901 South Howell Avenue. But this is not the end game. This is not the only way. God's got a bigger plan beyond the four walls of the church. And he's wanting us to build a highway so we can go and reach the masses called the harvest. 2,000 years ago, God birthed a movement. Let me say that again. 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, God birthed a movement, not a monument. Yeah. 
the Jews during this time, they understood what Shabbat was. They understood what the Feast of Weeks were, the Feast of Harvest. And they, they understood that you must bring now the first fruits to God. So everything that you had to offer, uh, everything that you had that you had in harvest, you would take a first fruits offering. And you would say, God, this belongs to you. This is now yours. And they would do that. But there's something else that they would also do that was more symbolic and for another time. And it was that every single uh, family would bake two loaves of bread. Now, the Jews ate unleavened bread. Why? Because leaven represents sin. Leaven is nothing more than basically yeast. And the reason why it represents sin is because if you let a little yeast in, it goes everywhere. You can't get it back out. You can't retrieve it out. Once it's in, it bakes into the, the flour or the wheat. In this case, it would be a wheat bread. And it would bake into it, and you can know it's enamored. You can never tell the difference between the yeast and the bread anymore. And it would rise because that's why yeast is, 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 is noted as sin or leaven noted as sin because once it gets in, it gets everywhere. And, and, and once it gets in, it ha what happens? It begins to cause the bread to rise, which means it gets what? Puffs you up. Fills you up with pride. You don't need God. The greatest sin that man's ever had is not because they stole or lied or cheated. It's because they believed they could do life without God. That's the greatest sin. Pride. And so they would bake two loaves of bread, and they would bake them with leaven in them once a year during the time of Pentecost, Shavuot, time of harvest. And it was symbolic because one of those loaves was the rep two of them, they brought representations. One was to represent them, Israel as a nation. God said, I still spared you. I still redeemed you, even though your nation was still full of leaven and full of sin. I've redeemed you unto myself. But the other loaf represented the other nations of the world. It was something they could not see. You see, when Jesus was, when he was building his kingdom during that time, establishing his kingdom, I should say, what happened was they actually believed that that was going to be a natural kingdom, that that would be the moment in time. But in fact, it was much more than that. We know it was spiritual. He was also saying, I'm, there's coming another, another day that after I die and I raise from the dead again, those that believe in me will be saved, not just the Jews, but the Jews first. But also the Gentile world, the nations of the world shall be saved. This was not taught during that time. It was only the Jews that were going to be saved. But this was symbolic, saying all nations that have risen up in pride still have the potential of redemption. Isaiah 2, 2 says this, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. Are we in the latter days or what? Just turn your news on, right? That the mountain of the Lord's house... The mountain of the Lord's house. The mountain of the Lord's house is always speaking of God's kingdom. But the house, the mountain speaks of his kingdom. The house represents his church. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. So get a picture of God's kingdom above all the other kingdoms. God's nation above all nations. God's church above all other systems of men. Okay? It's established on top of the mountains. Watch this. And it shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations, everybody say all nations. And all nations shall flow to it. So God says, I'm going to set up a kingdom on earth. 
Just like I told you during the time of Shavuot that all nations, not just your nation but the other bread, is also going to be redeemed and saved. All nations will flow into the kingdom of God, into the house of God that's higher than all the systems of men, higher than all the religions of mankind. And he said the all nations will flow into it. What does the word nations mean? It is the, it is the Hebrew word ethnos. and It is the word where we get ethnicities. If you ever want to know why there's been a fight over ethnicities for hundreds and thousands of years, it's because the enemy knows that the house of God is not to be divided, that the kingdom of God is not multicultural. The kingdom of God is multi-ethnic. All ethnicities deserve to be in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not multicultural. There's only one culture, and that culture is the kingdom of Almighty God. And I'm here to tell you that's why the devil rages against everybody he can to keep people groups separated and fearful. Everybody say one culture. We may have many ethnicities, but we have one God. We may have different backgrounds, but we have one spirit. We may all have unique expressions and experiences, but we have one Savior. Many different challenges, but we've got one church. Let me declare this loud and bold. Devil, you are not going to allow the difference of four millimeters of pigmentation to separate us and divide us and to split us up and cause fear in our community. Devil, you back down. You get out of our city. You get up out of our nation. What you don't hate, you'll tolerate. I just said a thing right there. I said, what you don't hate, you'll tolerate. And although I'm not using this today as a, as a, as a soapbox to get political or to, uh, to jump into something, uh, something that honestly I don't really have much I can offer except for the word of God. Someone said, well, you got to do more than pray. How can I do more than pray? Everything starts in prayer. Everything starts by the spirit first. But I know what's right. And I know what's wrong. What happened to that man was wrong. It was unjust. It was satanic. It was terrible. And there needs to be justice. But I see the bigger picture. I know what the devil is. I know what he's capable of doing. I know what he's trying to do. And all he wants to do is split and divide people. When God said that's not the end game, the end game is all ethnos. All ethnicities will flow together in the house of God. And I'm just looking around this room right now, and I see all my black brothers and sisters, and I want to tell you I'm proud of you and I love you. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how grateful to God I am that you would trust me and have for all these years. I am honored and I am privileged. My brown brothers and sisters, I love each and every one of you as well my Hispanic brothers and sisters, and all my white brothers and sisters, I love you as much as I can love anybody else. Why? Because we're one people. I don't know how to explain this. It's safe to say this. And you're watching this. You've been here before. You already know. But those that don't know, I don't know what it is about this, but you come in this place, it's like an oasis in the desert. It's like something different. It's like it doesn't match the rest of the environment. We look like the rest of the environment. But we don't match it. We don't, there's no splits or divides or schisms. There's no one group over here. I don't see the black side or the brown side or the white side or the yellow side or the red side. I don't see it. Everybody just brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just change gears. Matthew 16, verse 13. 
When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? He's getting personal. Now, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. By the way, Christ means the anointed one. Did you know that's what Mashiach means as well? Mashiach is where we get the word Messiah. So when it was talking about the Messiah in the Old Testament, Mashiach, it was talking about the Christ. So Jesus Christ, that Christ is not his last name. Yeah, JC's in the house. No, JC's not in the house. Just Jay. We don't know his last name, right? But Christ is who he is. He is the Mashiach, the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus answered to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You got a revelation. But my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, Petra, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But I will tell you this, I've watched the church get prevailed against. Why do you say that, Pastor? The Bible just says it doesn't. No, that's not true. Somewhere the church has to make a stand, but not just make a stand. The church has to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're just another dead religion, another dead organization, do-gooders that doesn't do much good. The church without the power of God is like having the body without the life. The central theme of Pentecost is the fact that God gave the Holy Spirit as a gift to all mankind who would receive his son, Jesus Christ. At the moment you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to you and comes in you. And Jesus used the name comforter to describe the Holy Spirit more than any other name. He used the word comforter. And the word comforter comes from the Greek word parakletos, which describes, listen to this. Here's what the Holy Ghost, is, and I'm talking about this, it's Pentecost. It's the day the Holy Spirit came. Watch this. It describes this, the comforter, Paracletos, a cherished friend, one who comes to help, one who comes to assist, to exhort, to encourage, to counsel, to advise, and to strengthen. It portrays the idea of a friend who steps into a difficult situation to defend you from something bad or hurtful. I like that so much because most people, when you get in trouble, want to back down and back away. They won't stand with you in the day of adversity. Most people just kind of shy away because they don't want the controversy come up on them. But the Holy Ghost is not like you. The Holy Ghost will come to defend you in a time of trouble. He says, I got your back. I've got your back. Church, that same Holy Spirit that Jesus said is the comforter lives inside you. John 14, 17 says the spirit of truth. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. When God could think of no other place more holy to fill his spirit with, he thought about you and he thought about me. This building is awesome. We thank God for the building. We're going we're gonna to be here for a while. We're paying the building off. Thank God for that. We'll have other ones in our future, but they're going to be debt-free before we move into them, praise God. But my point is this. That's not the end game. The truth is we leave, he leaves. You're not going to be able to walk in here five months after we're gone somewhere else and, and we're a different place maybe and walk in, I still feel the Holy Ghost. He ain't going to be in this place. 
Just as much as he's not in your car right now, your dirty car, you've been quarantined in for six weeks, praise God. No, because he goes where you go. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a radical difference from the Old Testament children of God. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, God would choose from time to time, and they would do what? The Holy Spirit would come upon a person. He would come upon that person. But in the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes in you. And the Greek word dwell, that word dwell, the Bible says here that that he will dwell with you and will be in you. That word dwell is the word meno. And it means to stay or to abide. It's a picture of a person who has, the res- has resolved that they're never going to move again once they've moved in. They have found the home of their dreams and are determined to stay there. It carries the idea of a person that once they found this home, they will not move, they will not budge, they will not flinch, and they will not be forced out. It is now their residence. I love this because it speaks to the very nature of God himself. The Holy Spirit says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. No matter what you're going through, I am with you. And I'm looking at some people today, you know what I'm talking about, but there's people watching me right now in your homes. I'm telling you, it is not over for you. You hear me. It's not over for you. God has not forsaken you. You may have forsaken him, but he's never forsaken you. The Holy Spirit is also known and related to us as fire. Everybody say fire. F-I-Y-A, fire. And the Bible says in the upper room that the Spirit of God came upon each and every one of them uh, like a cloven tongue of fire. It was supernatural fire. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, mm, 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 let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and re- with reverence and godly fear for our God, our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever watched the behavior of fire? Have you ever looked at what it does and what it's capable? We just saw the California fires. We saw the Australia fires right before that. And I mean, they just rage. They burn and they burn. They take complete control of an area. They consume everything. And if our God is a consuming fire, then our prayer should be, Lord, let your fire consume everything in me. And what's not in me that does not please you, burn it out of my life. And let what you can catch on fire like a wick, let it on fire for me and let me burn bright for you. We used to sing a song, burn in me. Burn in me, Holy Ghost fire, burn in me, oh, yesterday's gone, today I'm in need, Holy Ghost fire, burn in me, everybody say, burn in me, come on, burn in me, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost fire, burn in me, yesterday's gone, yesterday's gone. Today I'm in need. Holy Ghost fire. Sing it again. Holy Ghost fire. Holy Ghost fire. Burn in me. Father, let your fire burn in us, Lord God, to perfection and purification. Burn in us, oh God. Hallelujah. We need the fire of God. Just like 
in Pentecost when the fire fell in the upper room. Why? Because the fire of God purifies us. Let me prophesy and say this next move of God may not be like people think. The next move of God is going to be a move of confrontation. It's where God comes to earth and he may, he's going to say this, I'm God, you're not, my way. And you got to make a decision. It's going to be your way or Yahweh. Come on, somebody. But it's going to be a wonderful expression, a powerful expression and experience if you'll simply yield to him and say, Lord, go ahead, Lord, and burn out everything that is not pleasing to you. Purify my heart, oh God. Purify my ways. Purify my thoughts. Purify my doggone mouth. Isaiah 33, 14 says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has ceased the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who He's telling us who. Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He who despises the gain of oppressions. Mm. Who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes. This talks about justice, y'all. Who stops his ears from hearing of the bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. My wife and I, daughter, and others have had conversations of what's been happening in the United States the last few days. And we're all trying to make heads and tails of we're all trying to hear. And I'm, I don't, when I start to want to hear what God's got to say, I never listen to one source. I want to hear all sources. And you hear this side and you hear that side and you listen and you try to understand. And as a leader in my community and as a leader in the body of Christ, I want to know what's really going on by the Spirit. And I don't, I'm not going to tell you I had an answer. I wish I could say, hey, here's the answer. Here, I got it here written down. Just go ahead and take it home with you. It's going to be more involved in that. But let me just say this is that it's not a time to point fingers right now. If we want the fire of God to fall upon us and live, the Bible talks about where it says here that we can actually dwell among the devouring fire and be, dwell among the everlasting burnings. If we want the fire of God, what do we have to do? The Bible says we don't stop our ears from the hearing of bloodshed. We don't shut our eyes when seeing evil. We have to open ourselves up and say, okay, here's what's going on. This still may not be right, but this is what's right. We are living in a time, though, with God's people that it, he's requiring that we clean stuff up. We can't live loose and expect God to bless. We can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and expect God to pour his anointing upon you, his blessing upon you, his prosperity upon you. Oh, you may have gotten away with it a few times in the past, or you may think you did, but the truth is now it's another level. Malachi 3 says God will come to his temple as a refiner's fire to purify his people. Then he will deal with the world. Judgment. Watch this. There is a remnant that God's raising up. A remnant is a part of the whole. Everything else might be destroyed, but there's still something left. It's like the ember. It's still there. He said, I will not snuff it out, but I'll begin to winnow it, fan it, and blow up on it so it becomes a fire once again. God always sees the potential of something left over. 
I don't want to be counted in the number of people that didn't make it, who couldn't live right, who couldn't get a stake in flesh under control. I want to be in the, I want to be in that number that says I was a part of the remnant. But the remnant that God's about to anoint and bless in the earth are the remnant that's on their knees before God and saying, go ahead and purify me. Clean me out. I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm done with that sin in my heart. Matthew 3, 10, Jesus. And even now, he said, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God's fire can also be a fearful place. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. That's harvest time, which we are in. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the same thing that can save you can destroy you. There's a prophecy that was given by Jeremiah Johnson. I don't typically give other people's prophecies, but I, I, I latched onto this one, and I want to give it to you. I gave this a few days ago. As I lay in a deep sleep, two angels came and visited me in my hotel room. One angel had fiery blue eyes and held a huge broom in his hands. I instantly knew him to be an angel of cleansing. The other was an angel of glory uh, clothed and breathtakingly beautiful garments. Many of the colors in these garments I have no name for. I have never seen them on earth before. The angel of cleansing, the angel of cleansing spoke first. If the church, he said, was going to be visited by the angel of glory, she must first receive the angel of cleansing. In other words, the visitation of the second angel was contingent upon the church's reception of the first angel. When I asked what that meant, the angel of cleansing responded and said, God will not fill his house with his glory until his house receives the cleansing and purification he desires to bring. Too many are chasing the glory and they will never see it, the angel continued. For the lack of demonstration of the glory of glory in the house on the church, rather, is a direct result of the lack of consecration they have on their lives. Watch for many will cry out for glory and never see it because they refuse to consecrate themselves to the Holy One of Israel. Do you hear this? It's time to stop playing these games, man. However, I also watch for the remnant who will consecrate themselves and seek the face of God like never before. When and where the visitation of the cleansing is received, it is a sign to you that the glory will come. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then the angel, two angels immediately vanished from my room. After sleeping the the rest of the night, I asked God specifically about the large broom that was in the hands of the angel of cleansing. He replied, Jeremiah, that's his name. He said, there is a boom that's coming again to the upper room. But first there must be a sweeping of the broom in my house once again. Immediately a great expectancy of sobriety filled me. The great glory in upper room encounters of Acts chapter 2, which we're preaching on today, by the way, were cl clearly going to mark God's church in the days ahead, but it would be preceded by a deep cleansing, a purification, a sweeping of the broom of cleansing. The church must be prepared to receive and respond to this cleansing. I want to say yes to that. I don't want to make it hard for God. I want to make it so easy for him. Lord, whatever it is, reveal to me what's not pleasing to you. And I want that out of my life. Don't say it's too hard. It can't come out. That's a lie. That's the trick of the enemy. 
I was praying here with my elders on Tuesday night, and the Lord gave me a vision. I saw in the vision four angels in the corner of this church. I don't share these kinds of things often. You're probably going to hear more of it, though, from me, to be honest with you, as the prophetic is definitely kicking up in me. But I saw four angels. I saw an angel of glory. I saw an angel of favor, an angel of grace, and an angel of restoration. And I told my men, and we began to pray hard, and then the Lord spoke to me and says, they're not here yet. Because my assumption was because I saw them in the spirit, I saw them here, that they were here already. God was basically saying to me, that's the potential of what I want to send this church. I want to send my glory. I want to send my favor. I want to send my grace. I want to send my restoration. He said, but there's got to be a deep cleansing that happens before that can take place. Me, my wife, my staff, our leadership, our church members, we got to want it like we want our last breath. Church, we need to get things right with the Almighty and catch on fire for him. Romans 12, 11 says, not lagging. Put that up, guys. Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word fervent means a burning fever pitch, a boiling point, a burning fever pitch, red hot for God. I'm fervent. I'm diligent about staying fervent on fire for God. By the way, church, we reproduce after our own kind. Did you hear what I said? Oranges don't reproduce apples. And cold, compromising Christians don't produce people on fire for God either. If we don't have revival in our own life, how can we expect revival to come to the world? You want change in your community? Get the fire of God in your life. You want to move a God in America? Get the fire of God back in your life. You want your destiny? Reach out for it all you got and get the fire of God back in your life. How many are ready to have the fire of God begin to consume you until you're totally ablaze for his glory? And we want a wildfire. It looks out of control, but God's got it in complete control. Because the Bible says that the spirit came in. Numa, spirit, came in like a rushing, mighty Wind. Everybody say wind. Wind. Do you know that the, the Hebrew and Greek words for wind, uh, uh, wind and spirit, are exactly the same? They're interchangeable. Wind and spirit, spirit and wind are interchangeable. How do you spread a fire? When the wind hits the fire, it spreads. It looks like it gets out of control, and everything it comes in contact with is ablaze. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. I prophesy over the living church of God. Yes, you shall live. God will put sinew on you, bring flesh upon you, cause skin to come upon you, put breath in you, cause destiny in you. You shall rise, not die, and live. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and there was a noise, and suddenly, I said there was a noise, and suddenly, I said there was a noise, and there was a noise, I said, and suddenly, there was a, a rattling and a noise. We see that in the upper room experience, and suddenly, out of nowhere, 50 days later, nothing seemed to change, but the moment came, and suddenly, out of nowhere, there was a noise, like the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Hey, shut up, I see the water. He said, now prophesy to the four winds of the north, the south, and the east, and the west. Prophesy to come upon these bones that they may live. And I prophesied, and they came together, and they came alive. I'm here to tell you, revival is about to come on planet Earth like never before. And what looked like it was dead, God's about to resurrect it. Come on. God caused, and God caused what looked like there's no life, no possibilities, nothing's going to happen. We don't do the miracle. We do the prophesying. We do the obeying. God does the miracle. And those bones came together. There's a rattling of these bones. <laughs> I mean, Steven Spielberg couldn't put this together like that. And the Bible says they stood up with life as a mighty army. Much I can say about that. I'm going to leave that right there. But let me just say this. The end result of the Pentecost... That happened 2,000 years ago, the day the church was born, was what? To feel a goosebump? To feel good? And I like that. I like church. I, I like, I'm a church guy. I like to feel goosebumps. And you do. Those, that's not, I'm making light of that. You do. You feel the presence of God. It's wonderful. It's, but it can be so addicting until we want to live on the mountaintop and never go back into the valley. But one day we're going to live with him forever. But today there's a purpose by which his presence and his anointing, his spirit comes upon an individual. It's not so you can just feel good. It's so you can go back into the valley and deal with the circumstances and the trials and the tribulations and to set the people free. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God came in such an unusual, powerful way. One time experience actually from that. They never spent that before, right? And boldness came upon them. They were like an army. They weren't afraid of nothing. They came out of hiding. They came out of quarantine. Strong and powerful. And it was a time of Shavuot. And all the devout men of, of Israel and around the nation. All, every nation, the Bible says, every nation was represented there. They came from everywhere. 
because it was a feast day. And he stood. Peter preaches a message about who Jesus was and is. And didn't care what anybody else thought. They said, oh, some of this, he must be drunk because look at him up there. They misunderstood some. But the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. And they cried out and said, what must we do to be saved? What kind of power is that to where a message that the man preaches is so strong that people go, you're not going to have an altar call? I want to get saved. What can I do? And he says, repent and believe. Be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you shall be saved. You can change it if you want to, but that's in your Bible. That's exactly what it says. And 3,000 souls <laughs> on Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest, was added to the church on that day. The church was birthed for an instantaneous harvest of souls. And the moment the church gets back with a relationship with God, it will not be, the move of God will not be, let's come and have more conferences so we can bask and soak in God's presence. And those things are wonderful in and of themselves. But it will be about how can we strategize and mobilize to win our city for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and then we're going to see signs wonders and miracles it won't be a vision that Pruitt has about a, an angel or two in the corner the angels will show up in our services the angel will show up in the street corner with you so much so that the Bible says in the last days you got to be careful because they may come and try to preach another gospel it won't be an angel of God it'll be an angel of deception or an angel of light but it'll be something that it's just normal for you that's the move of God God wants in the